You know, um, are you looking forward to some gifts this holiday season? Come on, let's be honest. Okay, Christmas, you got to get some presents, right? I mean, give, but get some too, okay? Um, Now, could you think of someone who would get like an amazing gift and they knew it was amazing, but it was just left unwrapped? Like, I got this great gift, yeah, I'm so excited, and then they just leave it and they don't unwrap it and really receive all its blessings. We'd think, like, kind of strange, right? Oh, I better start my timer. This, is, this, is, this sermon's going to go a little shorter today because of the, the uh, program. At least that's the plan. Uh, so anyways, recently, uh, go ahead and show the picture. Uh, so recently, a, um, a wealthy relative of ours flew us down to Florida to their beach home and um, had a family reunion, kind of all expenses paid type thing. So we were excited about that. And uh, we pull up into the driveway, and there is this uh, Ferrari, okay? And I think this one is called the California Ferrari, those of you who know about Ferraris. And uh, anyways, uh, I thought, oh, thanks for the gift. Um, but actually, no, it wasn't, wasn't true. It wouldn't have mattered anyway. I would have sold it and gave the money to the poor, amen, uh, of course. But anyways, we're, I said, Carter, like, hop in there. And so... Carter was like, yes, hopped in there, and doesn't it look like this is Carter's car, right? <laughs> Sitting in there, he rather enjoyed that experience. We had to get the little Ferrari symbol in the, in the car, in the picture as well. So anyways, uh, but could you imagine Carter actually being gifted that car, but then never driving it? It would be odd. Uh, the gonna, It would be odd uh, to receive a gift like that. Uh, there's a big difference as well, once you say, of sitting in the Ferrari and actually experiencing its power, its blessings, quote-unquote. Uh, big difference in sitting in it than owning it and really receiving all that it had to offer. I think the skit did a great job of illustrating that the entrance of Jesus onto the earth uh, didn't mean that all the blessings that Jesus was to bring Everyone would receive those. It was the start, but we have to learn how to unwrap the power of Christ in our lives. Amen? So the gift, the light, uh, the best gift of Christmas is Jesus himself. Of course, we know that, but too often we don't really experience Jesus. We don't really experience all that he has to give and offer us. And we are like Carter. We sit in and around the Ferrari but it's not ours, and we don't drive it, and we don't experience all that it has to offer. So today, we're going to talk about Luke chapter 5. We're going to briefly just look at how did the Peter, for the first time, unwrap the gift of Jesus, so to speak. How did Peter experience the power of Christ working in him? So he wasn't just around Christ, but he uh, experienced the full blessings of what Jesus had to offer, okay? That's what we're going to do for our Christmas lesson and give you some things to think about and be reminded of as we go through our Christmas season. All right, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Before we get into that, uh, what is, what are some, what's, 
a name that Jesus goes by often or a, a something that Jesus is called? Manual, teacher, rabbi, good. Say it, huh? The Christ. That's what we're looking for. Those others are good, but Tim, you get the price, okay? So uh, um, the Christ. Now, what is Christ? I thought for a long time that Christ was just kind of like Jesus' last name, like Jesus Christ, like, you know, okay, okay? But uh, there's, it's really not. What is, who knows what Christ means besides Carter? Anyone? Alec? Isn't that the anointed one? The anointed one. That's right. The anointed one. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. The anointed Messiah meant the anointed one. And there's three roles or offices that the Jews uh, anointed in the Old Covenant. Okay? And the Christ is the fulfillment or the ultimate of each of these. Okay? So... Last, uh, last Jeopardy question. Who, who, what were those offices? Caleb, maybe one of them. Yeah. King, okay. King. Ned? Priest. And one more. Sean. Prophet. Man, you guys are flat out. Smart. I must have a good, good uh, uh, preacher. Uh, okay. So, yes, prophet, priest, and king. And Jesus is, as the Christ, the anointed one, he is the ultimate fulfillment of, of prophet, priest, and king. So we're going to see this being unwrapped to Peter here in Luke chapter 5. As we read, listen for those roles. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. He sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we have worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Okay, what a great story. I'm so excited, guys, about next year because we are going to be focusing on Jesus. We're going to be preaching all year long about Jesus, and we're making plans for that. Be excited about that. Look forward to that. But here we see Jesus uh, becoming the Christ to Peter himself personally, okay? And the first, so we have, you know, Jesus comes in, 
and lots of people, and there's some fishermen, and they're washing their nets. We don't really know why they're washing their nets, because they didn't catch any fish, but maybe they just had to get the salt off or whatever. Now, how, any of you who have fished, uh, how's the mood after getting skunked, right? After getting shut out, how's it going? Some very spiritual fishermen maybe just like, I just like to be in nature, okay? But most of us are like, a little salty. So we did there? Salty? A little salty after, Meg literally just rolled her eyes right now. A uh, uh, little salty after working hard all night long. Could you imagine working hard? And this isn't, by the way, your recreation. This is your business. Bills to pay, okay? Worked hard all night long, no fish. And here's Jesus coming along who wants to give a lesson. And I could just, can't you just see Simon and Andrew, James and John, kind of sitting on the side. Maybe they're sitting in the back row like, you know, okay. Just, but they're in a foul mood, okay? Sure, you can use my boat. Help yourself. You are, you are a good teacher, okay? And so, uh, so then Jesus gives his lesson. I'm sure Simon's like, oh, good stuff, whatever. Okay, are you done? Because I need my boat back so I can go and uh, uh, do my deal. And then Jesus says, hey, Simon, I've got, I've got an idea for you. How about you go out into the deep and cast your nets? Another gospel says, hey, cast those old nets, cast them on the other side of the boat. Now, Simon, seriously, you've got to just, he's a kind of a gruff old guy, right? Middle-aged guy, I don't know, we don't know how old exactly, but pretty gruff, pretty rough. And he's just, you just have to think, like, he was kind of like, seriously, like, how often do carpenters give advice to fishermen? I'm a professional at this. Of course, maybe he wasn't quite so brash, seeing that there was no fish that they caught all that night. So, um, so then he's like, this, this great spot says, um, Master, verse 5, we have worked hard all night and caught nothing. Just being honest here, Jesus. You're, that was a good little lesson you gave, but you really kind of went past your limitations here. And I could give you some fishing lessons. Why don't you just stick to carpentry and maybe some rabbiing, okay? Um, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. Good choice, Peter. Maybe the history of all Christianity just pivoted at this crucial moment of Peter's response. Point number one is this surrendering to the powerful king. The Christ is the king, the prophet, and the priest. Surrendered, Peter surrendered to the powerful king. He called him master. I think calling him master was the right name, but he wasn't really getting it very well so far, right? But an unsurrendered heart. See, we can be around Jesus, but when we're not surrendered to him as king, then we're not going to be able to experience the power at work in our life. Does that make sense? No power around Jesus unless we've surrendered our lives to him. At some point, Peter, maybe he was kicked under the table. <laughs> like Andrew's like, Peter, what? Just do it. Okay, because you say so, I'll do it. He brought his actions into submission to Jesus 
as his master and king, and then he experienced God's power. Jesus came, baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes. He's a shepherd. He's a teacher. He's a savior. But he's none of these until he is first our king. Amen? Jesus is Lord, or he's not Lord, of your life. Uh, we have a conscious and total act of complete surrender on our part. Andrew Murray said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. Wholly yielded to him. I have a little story. It says, when Christian Herder was governor of Massachusetts, he was running hard for a second term in office. One day after a busy morning uh, chasing votes and no lunch, he arrived at a church barbecue. It was late afternoon and Herder was famished. As Herder moved down the serving line, he held out his plate to the woman serving chicken. She put a piece on his plate and turned to the next person in line. Excuse me, Governor Herder said, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him. I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. But I'm starved, the governor said. Sorry, the woman said. Only one to a customer. Kind of like potluck this morning. Like, you know, just one casserole per. Uh, okay. Governor Herder was a modest and unassuming man, like all politicians. Um, but he decided that, sorry, that was a shot. But he decided that this time he would throw a little weight around. Do you know who I am? He said, I am the governor of this state. You know, if you're ever a leader and you start pulling off rank and title, it's, it's usually not going to go very well. Uh, so, do you know who I am? The woman said. I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along, mister. <laughs> Boom! Isn't that sweet? See, the question was, who really was the boss? Who really was king in that situation? And the governor is like, I'm the governor. Give me a piece of chicken. And the lady's like, sorry, move along, right? I'm the one who's in charge. So Peter and Jesus, it's, it's like, who's really in charge? Jesus is saying, I am the king of kings. You may think that you know a lot about fishing, and your experiences have told you this, and your buddies are telling you this, and your nets are empty. And I, but listen, go out to the deep and do it because of who I really am. Are we fully surrendered to Jesus? It's what's king? What's authority in our life? On our day-to-day decision-making basis, what is controlling our actions? When Jesus' power is going to be unleashed and unwrapped in our lives, Jesus has to be the one that has the final say. Whatever you say, I will do. Amen? Okay. 1 Timothy 6, verse 13. Um, we do, do we have that? Oh, there, there we go. It says, I want to read. It says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, and Lord of Lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. 
Who is your king? Who is your king of kings? Jesus has mastered. Jesus' power is unleashed into our lives when you fully surrender to him. Okay, secondly, is to obey the powerful word. To obey the powerful word of God. Peter, just like us, didn't, doesn't really like anyone telling him what to do. Who of us likes someone telling us what to do? We don't like that, right? We, we bristle at that. He was the expert. His experiences trumped Jesus as a carpenter, and he had experienced buddies all saying, hey, sorry, no fish today. Um, he says, but I will do as you say, New American Standard. The NIV says, but because you say so. In the Greek, it's like, but upon your word. But upon your word. See, a prophet, Jesus' prophet communicated the word of God, the message of God. All right, How, what is our posture toward the living and active word of God? I don't know about you, but for years in my life, the Bible was a, a good old, a good book, right? We even call it that, the good book. Sat around on my shelf or at church. When I grew up going to church, I just left the Bible at my seat because, of course, we sit in the same seats every week. So I just left it there because it wasn't living and active in my mind or in my heart or in my actions. It was dead and sitting there, right? Um, Jesus' word came alive. He says, upon your word, we will do it. We have to ask ourselves, are we building our lives upon God's word or are we building our lives upon another set of voices, another set of words, another set of experiences? The world or the word? You know, uh, um, how we're acting in our homes, schools, works, at, at work, in our neighborhoods. Are we tuned in and acting according to our expertise, our experiences, our buddies' experiences like Peter's? If so, then there's no power of Jesus. The power of Jesus remains unwrapped in your life. But when you obey the powerful word of Christ, then his power comes in and through your life. Obeying the powerful word. And lastly, trusting the powerful offering. So they obey the word. They go out and just love it, rowing out, you know, and, and then throwing the nets. And don't you just feel the doubt, the cynicism you know, and then the nets, and then there's a little fish in there. Whoa. And then maybe another fish, and some more fish, and the nets start to come in, and it gets heavier, like in Finding Nemo, right? You swim down, and it, the boats start to tip, and Peter's like, what on earth? And you're starting to see faith come into his soul. And he's like, James, John, hey, bring your boat. What? Why? I haven't caught anything all night. Look at the nets. Bring your boat, dude. Listen to me. Okay, obey my word. All right, in a subtle way. Okay, and they come over there, and both boats are starting to sink. And at some point, it comes over Simon that this Jesus is no ordinary rabbi. It hits him. As the power of God, he knows that this is a miracle. This is, this is crazy. There's something bigger going on here. And his, what is his response? Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw that, meaning the fish, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. 
he came into what he, 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 he became cognizant that he was in the presence of someone who was holy, Amen. a holy man. And as soon as we, that hits us, our, all our unholiness comes to light. If Jesus were literally to walk in the door right here, it, we would be like, hello, attention, right? And what would come into our consciences, our minds, is all of our sins, all of our shortcomings, right? All of our, all of our unholiness. And so Peter's like, away from me. I, I can't be in your presence. I'm, I'm unholy. I'm impure. I'm unclean. Anytime we see throughout Scripture, uh, whether it be... Uh, um, uh, the, some of the prophets, or here Peter, or the Apostle Paul, anytime the presence of God, Moses, you know, it com- comes along, it's like, away, away, I can, I'm, I'm unholy, I'm unworthy, I fall on my prostrate. So, G- so Peter is like, away from me, I'm a sinful man, prostrate. Did I say Prostrate. Okay, I got four minutes left. <laughs> Wait, did Ellen hear that? Oh, sh- so that's in the, in the banquet next year. Keep her moving. Right, Brad? But what does Jesus say to him? Do not fear. Do not fear. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11. How could Jesus say that? Because he knew that he was the great high priest. And that he was going to offer himself, his body and his blood. And point number three is to trust the powerful offering. To trust. In Hebrews chapter 9, it says in verse 11, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of his creation, and not through the blood of, of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Because Jesus knew His his offering was coming, He was going to offer Himself His own blood, as the great high priest, he could tell Peter, he could tell the sinful woman, he could tell all the disciples, I forgive you, you're forgiven, don't be afraid. Actually, you can approach with confidence because of the grace of God. How much trust, you know, the power of God remains dormant in our lives if we don't trust the fact that Jesus laid his life down, he shed his blood, so we can come in confidence to the Father, unholy as we are, sinful as we are, through God's grace, we can come to Him and to serve Him. You know, as we take communion, I want us to remember Jesus. I want us to remember and make some decisions like Peter had to make. I'm going to, I'm going to surrender, not my will, but your will be done. I'm going to take you at your word. I'm just going to do what you say. I'm going to obey your command. And I'm going to trust with confidence the offering of the great high priest. Let's remember Jesus. As we unwrap gifts this Christmas, let's remember to unwrap the greatest gift of Christ.
to surrender to the powerful king, to obey the powerful word and trust the powerful offering, and we will experience the power of Christ at work within us. Let's go ahead and pray for communion. Father, thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. Father, we're excited to celebrate uh, this holiday. Uh, We're excited to spend time with family or gifts and our different Christmas traditions, but mostly we do acknowledge and recognize that you sent your one and only son because you loved the world and that we are so deeply thankful for Jesus. God, I pray that we're just not around Jesus. I pray that we don't just hear of him, but that we experience and internalize his power. Father, help us to submit and fully surrender to him as our powerful king, to obey his word, to be in his word, to listen to his word, to repent, to do whatever the word tells us to do, like Peter did, and to trust that while we're sinful, we fall short, that you, because of your offering, have for all time made us perfect while we continue to be made holy. Father, I pray that we, through these things, can experience your power at work within us. We love you. Thank you for this time of remembrance, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.